Welcome to Living in the Aftermath with Dr. Rick Reynolds. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of Living in the Aftermath with yours truly, Dr. Rick Reynolds. We got some special guests in the audience today. We got our very own elders and ministers and deaconess in the church. Come on, clap your hands, everybody. This is what I'm talking about. We got wives in the all oh, Listen, man, we got the whole church up in here, it seems like. I'm geeked up. Listen, I don't want to wait. And we got my favorite person in here, our very own science guy, our own Dr. Bobby Dingus. Come on, clap your hands. He's running engineer for me. Man, I'm telling you, I love these people. Mm. Listen, let me get right into it. Um, I got four distinguished guests today. Um, I got Elder Earl Eskridge. He's one of my elders. I got Clifford Reed, uh, who just has been released and doing a real good job. And I got my very own sustainer, uh, Elder Nichols, who's been with me for five years. And I got the lovely and talented Danielle Dixon, who is um, my assistant. And so let me get right into it. Elder Earl, let me ask you a question for the um for our audience out there, what was the turning point or, or what do you believe was the pivot point that changed the direction of your thinking? It was for me to get incarcerated. Everybody thinks incarceration is a bad thing, but it's not a bad thing. It's for you to really actually find yourself. Even though we commit crimes, we still need to find ourselves in that piece of time that we have there in the incarceration. Stay right there for a minute. You just said something real powerful. Let me let me see if I can understand you a little better because I don't want people to get the wrong uh, understanding. How did your incarceration help you? It helped me to find myself. Wow. Wow. I find the incarceration is two things happen in incarceration. You either straighten yourself out or you try to maneuver yourself to find other ways to do more crimes. Wow. I'm not saying it's a good thing to get incarcerated. What I'm saying is it's a time to find who you are. And that's where God had allowed me to help me find myself in there. That's real good. I wanna I wanna ask, um, that's a real good question. I wanna ask Mr. Reed. Uh, Mr. Reed, uh, same question with you. What do you think was the turning point or the pivot point that changed the direction of your thinking? Well, you know, I was uh going in prison, I was a disciplinary problem. And so after uh you know, being, uh, you know, going through a lot of uh, behavioral changes and everything, it just came to the point where, you know, I almost committed suicide. And I think that was the turning point because, uh, you know, I, I didn't die and I was grateful that I didn't die. And something had told me, you know, that there was a purpose. And that's when I did a self-evaluation on myself. I really appreciate that. Come on, clap your hands, everybody, now. Yeah. You know, it takes a lot to come out yeah. and say those things, especially as a black man. Yeah. You know, in the in the black culture community, Elder Nichols, mm -hmm. in the black culture, in the community, you and I know that many times those issues like suicide and, and other issues really affect the black community, and yeah. particularly the black man. Wow. But I want to ask you the same question I asked the two distinguished gentlemen. What do you think was the turning point in your life and change your thinking? Prison allowed God to save me from myself. Wow. I was a, a, son, a son of a man of God. My dad was my pastor, my dad, my mentor, and my friend. I took the prodigal son route. My, my pig pen was the prison. Wow. And when I came to myself, I came back to God. Had that not happened, 
I would not be alive today. Wow. Wait, go back to what you just said. You said the pig pen. Yes. Was your what? It was my turning point. The pig pen the was. The pig pen. Can you help me with that that story regarding the pig that, pen? That story is where a prodigal son of a good man, he had been raised That's right. Good. That father had imparted the word of God to him. That importation is what brought him back to the station. That's why the father knew he was coming home. That's good. That's how God. That's why the word says, "Train them up in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it." Everything that I had been taught from a child up began to flood my mind. And one scripture that my mother shared with me, the first time that I've had communication was Romans 8, 28, where we know that all things yes. work together yes. for the good for the good. of them that love the Lord. I love the Lord. I just couldn't show it. Oh. For the good of them that love the Lord, who are the called according to his purpose. I was running from a calling, and I ran into a wall that would not move. I was not raised in a dysfunctional family. I made dysfunctional decisions. Wow, that's good. Come on, clap your hands right there. I love that what you said. So technically, uh, you and Minister Reed actually had a mother and father. Yes. Y'all grew up with with the with the family yes. uh, component together. Yes. So the problem wasn't the, the dysfunctional family. No. It was the, the what? The dysfunctional, dysfunctional decisions. Wow, that's powerful. Yes. That's good. Come on, clap your hands one more time, studio audience. Man, I'm loving this. Listen, we got we got one lady in a bunch, and listen, we love her. Um, she came to us over a year ago, and I can't tell you how much we're proud of her. Uh, she has grown in leaps and bounds. Yes, Not yes. that she's never known the Lord, but I think because of this ministry, she got a chance to experience him. Somebody say amen. amen. I'm about to start preaching up in here in a few moments. Yes. Listen, let me ask you a question, Danielle. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, can you uh, tell us what was your turning point or pivot point that changed the direction of your thinking? For me, it was when I actually went to prison and I first, you know, I felt sorry for myself, yeah. you know, and then I'm introducing myself to different women and finding out their stories and realizing that this isn't my end. You know, prison was actually my saving grace. Wow. And I, you know, I was just afforded the opportunity to get myself together, get away from those things and those people who were causing my downfall. It got my thinking realigned and made me want to strive to be better, to stay away from what caused me to fall in the first place. Wow, that's good. Come on, clap your hands. Y'all know that. Well, come on, somebody. Now, I don't know if y'all listen to me, but this episode is called Staying Alive. And you and we're actually talking to people who are formerly incarcerated, and they're giving us nuggets and insight and adaptive leadership sites, styles. You got to uh, fix that, Bobby. I'm messing up right now. Fix it. <laughs> So anyway, let's uh, let's move on to the second question. Uh, the second question is, Elder Earl, how did you hear about this particular program, um, the one that you currently work for now, the exit program, uh, where the um, wonderful and the illustrious and the magnificent Dr. Michelle Reynolds, who happened to be married to this great guy right here. <laughs> Tell us, um, how did you find out about this uh, wonderful program? Actually, it was really a fabulous story. I was uh, got home from prison, and I was here in Columbus. I came back after my mom had passed away prior to me getting home from prison. 
and I started doing volunteer work with uh, Mr. Charles McLemore, who's the vice president of this company, but he wasn't here at the exit program. So I left uh, Columbus to go back to Akron, and I ended up doing my thing there, make a long story short. Six years later, I ended up running to Mr. McLemore again for an interview for the exit program. And I seen this man get out this car, and I'm looking, I said, I know this man from somewhere. And he came to me, and he said, you're the first one I need to talk to. And he took me upstairs where the office where I started working at in Akron, and he said, where you been at? He said, I've been looking all over for you. He said, you know what? He said, I already know your skills. He said, but I can't be biased in this. So it's for the people here with me who's going to choose who they want to be. Later on down the line, a year later, he told me I won with hands down. Wow. I've been working with the exit program over uh, 10 years now. Come on, clap your hands right there. And we have to make another announcement. Not only have I been the program for 10 years, uh, what's coming up in the next 30 days? I'll be getting married. Yay! <laughs> Amen. Amen. And where did you meet her at, by the way? At the exit program. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, somebody. That's what I'm talking about. She, but go ahead and let her know what her name is and what she do for the company. Her name is uh, Miss Keisha Eskridge. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And she's the director, uh, not director. Uh, all right. Okay. We'll <laughs> Coordinator speak Coordinator specialist. All right. There. That's good. And uh, we work side by side, and uh, it's an awesome thing that we do work together. Amen. <laughs> With that being said, let me get with Clifford. Cliff, let me ask you a question. You don't mind me calling you Cliff, do you? No, I don't, sir. Thank you so much. What did, what, uh, how did you hear about the exit program? Or a better question is, how have the exit program helped you? Well, first of all, uh, interesting story. I was uh, I was in the Ross Correctional Institution, and uh, I was on my way uh, to the, my housing block, and it was a Sunday, and uh, this guy was standing out in front of the chapel, and uh, his name was uh, Chaplain Marcus, and he had asked me. He said, have you ever uh, been to church? I said, no. He said, would you like to come in? And I went in there, and then after the service was over, we, we were talking, and I was telling him that I was being released in 90 days. And he asked me, where was I going? I said, to a halfway house. And he said, asked me, what halfway house was I going to? I said, well, I don't know yet. I said, I guess I ain't got the choice. And he said, well... Me personally, uh, I'm going to check into it and see if I can get you into this uh, place called the Exit Program. So I said, well, what type of halfway house is there? You said, it's, well, it's a faith-based type halfway house, and I think that's what you need to help you after serving 20 years of your life in prison, help you adjust to society. And your next question, sir, is uh, this program has really helped me a lot. That's good. Come on. Come on, y'all. Come on. Listen, no, stay right there. If you don't mind telling the people, how much time did you do? I served 20 years. 20 years. And in that 20 years, it, I, I, I want you to say, I want you to speak into that microphone loud and clear. What hope can you give somebody right now that's about to get out? That 90 days from getting out, what would you tell them? Well, it's, it's rough. It's rough. If, you, if you've been in there a long time, like me, 20 years, it's rough. Uh, before I got out, you know, I was confused. I was scared. And any man that say that they're not scared coming out into society after serving 10, 15, 20 years of their life in prison, they're not being truthful. Wow. I was scared. 
So I had to talk to little psychiatrists, case managers, yes. and, and, and uh, officers in there and, and get get knowledge of what I was uh, getting myself into. Absolutely. But I think for me personally, after doing 20 years, I think the best thing I did was come straight into the halfway house. Good. Thank y'all. Come on. Clap your hands right there. Come on. Come on. Clap your hands for real. Now, for those who are listening to us, the exit program is not really halfway house. I need to make a distinction from that. It's really independent living, but it has the the functionality as like a halfway house in some degree. But in reality, it's really just independent living for the people. But let me move on to the next question. I'm really excited to put this next guest, um, uh, Elder Nichols. Tell us um, a little bit about how you hear about this program and how has it really helped you? Be honest, if you can. All right, I'll be honest. I was ministering in the prison, first of all. The change began when, when I first uh, came to know Jesus in the county jail. And, and so um, I went to prison, and I wound up working for the chaplain. My job, I even told the warden, my job was ministry. I was actually destined for another program, wow. another place. But as God would have it, he intervened, and, and the head parole officer, Jackie Webb, redirected me to the exit house. The best thing that ever happened to me. Now, why would you say it's the best thing ever happened to you if you don't mind sharing that? Because it, uh, it gave me an opportunity to pursue what I'd already been training for behind the razor wire fence. I took college Bible study classes on a college level. I worked in the chapel. Our chapel was busy seven days a week. I had early out privileges to go to lunch, to go to get to the chapel, to do my job. I spent my days in the chapel, and I slept overnight in the dorm. Wow. That's how I did my time. I mentored several men. I'm mentoring one now, the one that just spoke before me. I had the privilege of mentoring men. Here's the thing about doing time. If you use your time for God's purpose, if you Put your if you pour yourself into someone else's life to help them, it'll help you get a break from being miserable in your life. That's good. That's good. That's good. Danielle, same question to you. I want to know how did how did you hear about the program and how has the program helped you? If you don't mind being honest about that. No, in 2013, we had a health fair, which we have every six months at ORW, and Jesse's World had their booth set up, and I was able to have a side conversation with the now operations manager, Marvetta Fro-Shelton, and uh, I had, when she told me about the program, not being from Ohio, being from the South, it instantly gave me an idea of how I can get back on track and not fall back into the same traps. It was to completely relocate. And knowing that the the program was headed by Dr. Michelle Reynolds, who is a pastor and her husband, it I knew that God was putting me on my destiny. Yeah. It was not to go backwards. It was, you know, he said, You're you're not gonna be defeated if you come to Columbus. You're gonna thrive and since I've been home a little over a year, I've done nothing but thrive. Wow. Come on, somebody. That's good. Come on. That's good. Listen, they don't know. Can you give us a little bit of, of some of that thriving that you experienced? Uh, sure. Um, less than 30 days after I was released from prison, I started working for a fabulous company called Franklin International. Um, within six months, I was 
promoted. I actually turned that promotion down. A couple of months later, I accepted another promotion. Um, two weeks after I started working, I was actually able to buy my vehicle. Wow, you're doing well. Um, you know, I have my own my own home now. I've paid for everything in it. That's good. That's good. That's good. But I just want to say that the best part about being a part of Jesse's world that I was able to be connected with Common Ground Destiny Center and with the the family that I have now, it it brought something out of me, and I feel like I have the support that I've never had before in my life. Come on, somebody, clap your hands right there. I really appreciate that. Now, listen, speaking of the support, that leads me to my next question. So, Elder Earl, let me ask you a question. What were some of the resources that helped you along your journey? Uh, family, first and foremost. Wow. Um, my brother and uh, after my passing to my mother, um, to be honest, I was a real mess up before I went to prison. And uh, my family actually opened their arms to me. So that was a great support. My job was a great support as well. Once I started working with the exit program, it's been a great family-oriented thing that's been going on with me. It's been a great support for me. Um, dealing with the POs and um, judges and stuff like that, I became familiar with them working in Akron for eight years. Uh, they came very supportive with me and stuff like that. So You know, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I yeah. need to let people know, uh, for those of you who are listening, I want you to know that several years ago, he was runner-up to the Jerry Revis Award where my wife actually happened to win it. And so actually you was in the Akron exit program. Yes. And 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 here my wife was recognized in Columbus, which is the program that she oversees in Akron, Correct. Cincinnati, Chillicothe. So that just shows you uh, this is a good program. Come on, clap your hands, somebody. It's a great system. Great. We've got to move. Time is before me. Yes. Um, Cliff, what are some of the resources that helped you along your journey? Uh, I got to say my family. I can't hear you. Can you put my, the microphone to your mouth? I got to say my family. Good. I got to say my family, sir. Uh, you know, some some guys, I've seen guys in there that, you know, after uh, serving 20, 30 years, you know, they have nobody. You know, their family just gets wow. up. Wow. Uh, my family stuck there with me for the whole 20 years. Wow. Now, that deserve a clap right there. Does that deserve a clap? Right. But, but uh, the turn, the, the, really the turning point was in 2010, I was in uh, Southern Ohio Correctional Center in Lucasville, and the case manager called me to the office one day and gave me a piece of paper, and it had a, a name and a phone number on it. And I said, uh, who is, she said, do you know who that is? I said, yeah, this is my daughter. And uh, when I went to prison, she was five months old. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, well, whatever you're doing, you better stop doing it now and call her. Wow. And I called her, and at this day, we got a strong, loving, caring relationship. That's what I'm talking about. Elder Nichols, same question for you. Yes, sir. What What was the, the, the part that helped me the most coming out of prison? I told you I was ministering in there. Well, I didn't get to the part I wanted to get to. The exit house, when I got redirected here, I met a man named then Pastor Rick Reynolds, and he called me elder right off the bat. He, I didn't realize he was speaking prophetically. And then I came to know what this ministry really is all about. This man has a mosaic anointing on him for bringing people out of Egypt to the promised land. 
once I really saw what this ministry was really about, I've jumped on board. I'm the senior elder at his church. Um, I'm a, I'm a, a, the support staff that helps Mr. Earl and Keisha and all of the other staff with the exit house program. I live in the house, and I'm the one that watches out for the good of the program. God has blessed me so much by me being rerouted from I'm not knocking the place where I was headed. I'm not going to mention the name, but I will say this. This is where God wanted me to be because doors have opened. That's good. I really appreciate you saying that, Eldon. I know that came straight from the heart. Danielle, same question for you. The resources that helped you along your journey. Um. One of the biggest resources that actually helped me along my journey is an organization called Embark Kindway. I was linked up with them while I was in prison. It's a, a prison ministry and where they're actually helping you to with your, your negative thinking and how to incorporate God into your, your life and just take charge of your life and use God to do it. But there's also community resources out here. Uh, MCS touch, which is a great resource. Um, impact, which is a great resource. You know, these, these places are out there to help returning citizens to get back on their feet, help them with jobs. And, you know, I was appreciative that I was able to take part and, you know, use them as a launching pad to further my success. That's good. Come on, somebody. Listen, that, I, I mean, listen. this is real good. Listen, I got to go to the next question, Elder Earl. Let me ask you this question. As it pertains to your life now, what would you say is your greatest asset and why do you believe it? My greatest asset, asset is communication. Ooh. And I say communication is because um, I know how to deal with the clients that I'm dealing with and they receive me. So that's my greatest asset is communication. Thank you so much. Uh, let's, let me ask Cliff that, that next question. Cliff, what do you think your greatest asset is, and why do you believe it? I think my greatest asset is very simple, self-love. Uh, you know, I've been through so much in my life to where I never loved myself. All right. And, you know, since I've been home and being blessed and all the blessings I done received, been going to church, accepted God in my life and everything. Amen. Amen. I love myself now, I can truly That's say. Amen. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, yeah. before we pass that mic, no, stay right there, because listen, there's people who are listening, uh, and Dr. Bob, you can jump in if you need to real quickly. You know the power of, or you know the negative effect it can have when people don't love themselves. That's right, yes. And so yeah. I really appreciate you being honest about that mm -hmm. and actually saying, listen, um, it, it's time for me to look inwardly and not look outward. So, El, El Nichols, same question to you. What do you think was your greatest asset um, and why do you believe that, sir? My greatest asset goes right back to that first scripture I just re referred to. All things work together for the good of them that love the Lord. I have what, what I've told my pastor, Pastor Rick, I've shared this with him. I have retrospect wisdom. Oh, that's good. 2020 hindsight. And I try to use that. My thing, even in there, I mentored men. My, I'm, I'm a mentor takes men on a tour. Yes, yes. That's what mentors do. Yes. I like taking men on a tour of my life, just being transparent. That exposure brings closure. 
God, I'm, I find that God uses all of the mistakes I made to guide men around the pitfalls that ensnared me. When you read the book of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, you're reading a man, the, 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 a man that came to the old years of his life. I'm 68 years old. Yes, sir. And I can look back and see a lot of the things that ensnared me that I can help guide other young men around. That's one of my greatest assets, the experience. I wouldn't take nothing. There used to be a song that says, for my journey now, I got to make it to heaven somehow. And that's that's my greatest asset is having the experience of God bringing me through what he brought me through. That's good. Come on, clap your hands, everybody. We almost done. Come on, Danielle, jump in there. Let me give you the question again. Uh, what, um, As it pertains to your life now, what would you say is your greatest asset and why do you believe that? I would say that it's my refusal to be complacent or to get comfortable. Yes. Oh, that that's is what good. fuels me each and every day to keep striving, to keep pushing, to yeah. grow, to change, to, to work harder, to do better. I refuse to be comfortable or complacent because once you do that, I, I just feel like life is over. There's always more. That's good. Come on, clap your hands, y'all. That's good. Listen, time is getting before us, so I'm going to run these last two questions down. Uh, Elder Earl, I'm back to you. Can you identify any incorrect patterns of thinking that you may have contributed to consequences that led to your experience of imprisonment? Uh, yes, I would say the lifestyle that I lived. Wow. So there's a uh, lifestyle. Hold on, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah. You saying you can live live a certain lifestyle. Yes. And it can lead you yes. in a different path. Yes. Actually, I had a choice. Uh, I had an older cousin that was older than me, and I was working at the time. I was um, 16 years old. He ran the streets. He gambled, did all the whole nine yards, and I was working. He said, you can either have this kind of life or you can have this kind of life. You can be a working man or you can be this kind of life. Well, that life looked good where he was at. Wow. So even though I just had my mother in the household, I still had a choice in the matter of where I yes, wanted to be did. at. Absolutely. I have a brother who's very successful. Me and him 11 months apart. Wow. He's very successful. And we came from the same household. Same household. And so it wasn't no excuse for me not to tread on the same meal that he was on. Oh, that's good. So I made a choice, and it cost me. Wow. Thank you so much. Uh, Cliff, uh, with you, if you don't mind, ask that question. What do you think contributed to your consequence that led you to your imprisonment, if you don't mind sharing it? First of all, uh, I want want it to be known that uh, I came from a very good family. Wow. Uh, So, therefore, my family didn't raise me this way. I made a choice. Wow. Either be raised by a loving and caring family and be the person that my mother and father wanted me to be in life or choose the street life, and I chose the street life. And uh, I paid for it. Wow. I got scars from it, but I learned from it. Yes. And uh, thank God I'm a born-again Christian. Amen. That's good. And, uh, I appreciate your honesty. I really appreciate that. And I'm grateful for every for my life. I'm just grateful to have my life back. I'm 56 years old, and before I came home, I used to you know, think to myself like I don't even know why they let me out of here. You know, what am I? You know, what am I going to do? I'm an old man and everything. But since I've been home, man, I ain't had nothing but blessings and love and from my family. And I just 
Have we loved you? Hold on before you get that microphone. Yeah, you have love have I loved love on you? Yeah, yes, All right, you I just want to make sure the audience yes, get that in there, okay? And amen, I, amen. And I appreciate the Okay, love. I just want to make sure. And I appreciate All right, I just want to make sure. All right. <laughs> Elder, listen, he said he had a good family, so he really didn't have no excuses. What about you? Did you have any excuses? That, and so if you had no excuses, then what, what was the consequences? What was the thing or what was the, the personality that actually got you uh, in trouble? My stinking thinking, that's what got me in trouble. And then uh, not only that, the liquid courage that I poured down my neck to inspire <laughs> my, my stinking thinking. And I drank, I, I drank, I smoked, I, I, I did, I did uh, speed. I didn't do the heavy drugs, but I did mostly. I was an alcoholic. And I, I drank to the point of developing a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Can you explain that, what that yes, means to the people in the audience? Is, that is a two opposite people living inside of a man. Wow. Dr. Jekyll cared about himself and others and, and values and family and all of that. Mr. Hyde only cared about himself. Wow. He cared about nothing but himself. He would run everybody good that was, that was around him away. He turned in, I, it, it was like having two different sides, two different personalities living in the same person. I did it. I started doing that for the courage that I needed to be able to dance, to be able to talk, to be able to do things wow. that normal teenagers did at the age of 16. And that followed me and that all cultivated by God allowing me to go to prison, as I said, to save me from me. Amen. Come on, clap your hands. Wait, before you get that microphone up, I need to know, is there an experience that you had? Can you give us one about you drinking how Mr. Hyde actually won? Yes. Yes. Mr. Hyde was always, uh, well, he was the dominant person. When, doctor, when I would wake up in the morning after sobering up, Dr. Jekyll was like sitting on the head of the bed needing to talk to me about Mr. Hyde. That's how I felt in the morning. <laughs> And I had a I had a real good experience though for a short period of time. I went on the wagon one time, the water wagon is what they called it. I wasn't drinking. I would go out, but I would drink pop. I would drink non-alcoholic drinks. Met a very nice young lady, and I I, I had I mean she was she was the kind that that a man would pursue, just like Mr. Earl and and Keisha. Yes, and, but. I, I thought all the whole time, it lasted about three months, the whole time that that relationship was going on, Mr. Hyde said, you know, I'm still inside. Wow. I hadn't dealt with him. And, and so that relationship, I did her a favor. I left her. Wow. Because I didn't want her to have to deal with Mr. Hyde. Thank I, you so he, much. I, I, just like Cliff, just the guy, man that just spoke before me, I have had to, I've come to love myself. Amen. Now that I don't have to be Mr. Hyde and Dr. Jones. Come on, clap your hands right there. I love this studio audience. Man, I wish, hey, Dr. Uh, Dingus, I wish they were with, with us when we first started. I'm telling you, man, y'all give me so much energy. I'm ready to start preaching up in here. Listen, we, listen, we got to get out of here. Uh, I got one more question, uh, and then we got to run. Uh, Elder Earl, let me ask you a question. This is my last question. What are some of the ways? I'm sorry. I'm so excited. I forgot about Danielle. Um, that was an oversight. Danielle, what 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 do you think contributed to the consequences that led to your experience uh, of being in prison? Something that you always call me hard headed. Hard headed. I was extremely hard headed. I come wow. from a great family. Wow. Love my family. Love them, but I wanted to do things my way. 
And uh, so I basically separated myself from my family and had this this notion, this idea that I was in the world by myself. So, so I didn't need anybody. And then when things started happening, you know, bad relationships, I thought I had to shoulder it by myself when all I had to do was pick up the phone and call my family. Wow. So that that feeling that you're alone and by yourself, you, you really, really never were. I was never alone, but my head, my hard-headedness, just it made me not want to reach out to my family. And so in doing so, I put myself in situations where I was abused and manipulated and ended up paying the, you know, the, the, the ultimate price, which was going to prison. I mean, I'm lucky and blessed to be alive today. And I thank God that he put me in prison so that I can be here today. Amen. Come on, somebody. I really appreciate you being honest. I, I really do. Uh, give her back that microphone one more time. I want to ask her a question and we got to run. Is there anything you want to say to the women there at ORW, anything from the heart, any shout outs, anything you want to say on a personal note before we um, get ready to close this broadcast, podcast? For the, the ladies, my sisters at ORW, I just want you to know that there is a life, a better life out here waiting for you. Don't succumb to the prison culture because it's only going to continue the cycle that put you in prison in the first place. If you have addiction issues, please know that there's help out here. There's help available, but you have to want it. I just want you to know that prison is not the end. I promise you it can be your new beginning. Yes, that's good. That's good. Is that good? Is that good? Prison can be your what? New beginning. Yeah, I, man, I'm about to, listen, we're about to preach up in here, Bobby Dingus. Uh, I'm, I'm serious, Doc. Listen, Elder, get me out of here. Listen, let me ask you a question. So what, are, what this is my last question for you. What are some of the ways um, uh, you find yourself thinking differently now that you're out um, out of prison, but you're now in to purpose. Yeah. I found myself not to still be incarcerated in prison, even though I'm free. Ooh. A lot of times what happens is we get out home and we find ourselves and put ourselves into another prison. And Ooh. so we have to find a way of not building that prison up again. That's good. Um, so I look forward to doing things differently. I stop hating on everybody else. Yes. And I start respecting everybody else. Yes. But I had to learn to start respecting myself first. That's good. There was a saying I used to say when I was in my heydays, when in my drinking days, I couldn't love nobody else because I couldn't love my damn self. Excuse wow. My no, that's all right. That's all right. But that's the way I used to think. But it was a true statement, though. Until I learned to start loving me, yes. I couldn't love nobody else. Wow. So that's where I can see myself as growing, and my children love me more. Even through all the wrong I've done, my children respect me today. Amen. Come on, somebody. Ain't nothing like a father and his children. Come on, somebody. Amen. Dr. Cliff, what, what, what now? Uh, how are you thinking differently? How is thinking differently making your life better now than it did 20 years ago? Well, I'm going to put it like this, Pastor Rick. You know, the only thing I focus on every day, you know, as soon as I wake up in the morning, I think about, well, who am I, who can I be around today that's going to be the best out of me? Wow. Yeah. That's, that's what I focus on. I know that since I've been home, the people I've been around has been bringing the best out of me. Wow. The exit program staff, mm -hmm. my family, yes, my kids, yes, and friends I've met that's positive. And they just bringing out so much in me that I never thought I had. Yes. Inside of me. Wow. 
and I'm grateful for that. That's good. Come yeah. on, clap your hands. We listen. We're almost done here. This studio audience, man, is one of a kind. Elder, same questions for you. Since now that you out of prison and into purpose, what's different now from nine years ago? What's different from nine years ago is the fulfillment I find in living in purpose. Oh, it's so fulfilling. When, when I can step, I think I mentioned it earlier, when I can step aside of being concerned about myself and be concerned about God and others and then myself, I find a fulfillment in that because that is where a purpose is found. Using our talents, our energy, our time, our finances to promote the kingdom of God, and that means promoting others. Using our gifts, our talents for God's glory, for the for the glory of God, for the help of others, and for the edification, the building up of myself. Thank you that's so much. Happens. Come on, that's good. Come on. Uh, last but not least, um, we're going to have our wingman bringing in Danielle Dixon. Uh, last question, and we're going to get on out of here again. What are some of the ways um, you think differently than you did uh, prior to your incarceration? And the first thing I've learned is to let go of all the hurts, the pains, the disappointments, because that was only poisoning me and holding me back. Secondly, I learned that it's okay to live a drama-free life. You know, and I love it. I I have no drama in my life and wow. it just it makes me it makes me feel like I can be at my best. Yeah. And I stopped using people to fill the voids that have been throughout my life because it only brought in the pain, the heartache, the abuse. So once I stop doing that and stop looking as they say for love in all the wrong places, yeah. life has been you know, extremely different. Amen. You know, it's been, I've been able to, to go to a place in my life where I can truly say at almost 45 years old, I'm actually living my best life. Come on, clap your hands right there. We're about to get on out of here. Yes. We're about to close it up right now. So thank you again for joining us with uh, Living the uh, Aftermath with Dr. Rick Reynolds with another episode of Stand Alive. Thank you so much. Come on, clap your hands. We out of here. Yes. The Aftermath with Dr. Rick Reynolds. There are times in our human experience where we are often tempted to feel like we are beyond repair. The good news is, it's never hopeless, you're never helpless, and your life is never beyond repair. If you are in need of tools, encouragement, and tips for turning your mess into your message, Purchase your copy of Living in the Aftermath today. You can order your copy in print or in a digital ebook format at Amazon.com or by visiting DrRickReynolds.com. Living in the Aftermath, your personal guide for forging a new life out of hard experiences.